This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Today we have an awesome show with Brendan Burns, who is the Director of Professional Services with Kuyu. Brendan is an outstanding bow hunter. He's very, very accomplished. He has 19 mature bulls in Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. Nine of those bulls are over 350 inches net uh, with a bow. Eight of those are in Montana. Uh, The top 10 bulls out of his 19 have an average score of a little over 380 inches. Uh, He's killed three net Boone and Crockett elk, uh, a gross score of 423 and 6 eighths in Montana. Uh, that netted 410 inches and 3 eighths with a bow, and it was the state record when Brendan killed it. Uh, He shot a bull in Wyoming with a rifle that goes 401 gross, 388 net, and another monster bull in Montana that goes 395 gross, 375 net. When it comes to killing stuff, uh, Brendan is uh, very good at it. Uh, He has a a great track record of, of being a guy in the know and... Uh, he is uh, uh, very involved with Jason over at Kuyu, and we're fortunate to have him on the show. So let's get right to it. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a real special guest like you heard in the intro. We have someone that uh, is, is an extreme elk hunter, uh, loves bow hunting elk, has killed a lot of big bulls, and like I said in the intro, Uh, This is someone that truly knows what they're talking about when it comes to killing big bulls with a bow. Uh, Brendan Burns is a friend of mine. Uh, I've known Brendan for several years. Uh, Fortunate to have Brendan and Jason uh, from Kuyu come down and hunt uh, Mexico with us. Um, He shot a real nice Kuz buck, and um, Brendan is just a, a real credible a uh, great elk hunter that that um, is 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 just truly a predator, and I uh, look forward to um, picking picking his brain. And I know that you listeners are going to enjoy it as well. Um, Brendan, how you doing? Doing great. I don't know if I can uh, follow up with that intro, but uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk to you about all of these different elk that you've shot with a bow. And first, I wanted to ask you. Where did the passion for uh, archery elk hunting, where did that come from and and how did that all uh, just get inside you and and what caused all of that? Well, uh, a little bit about my background. My my dad was paralyzed in a uh, horse accident when I was two years old. So um, he was an avid, he's, he's you know, still alive today, but uh, big hunter. And uh, I grew up just, I, I always had the the, the passion for, I, I just loved hunting since I was little. I don't know if it's born in you or whatever, but, uh, <clears throat> when I was, uh, and my dad always took me out when I was younger and, and elk was just kind of one of those things that was just unachievable. You know, I mean, my dad, you know, close to the road, um, uh, three wheeler, four wheeler, all that kind of stuff that you could get around. But elk was just one of those things that just wasn't accessible to me as a, as a, as a little guy. And, uh, it, it was, I, I don't know. I just, it always got to where, 
<clears throat> I just, I never saw enough of them. I, it just seemed like something that was, they were, they were like a mythical creature to me when I was small. And so, um, as I got older and got, uh, got big enough to hunt them, it was just, it, it just seemed like the thing that was, uh, you know, deer, antelope, all that other stuff you could, you could come across, but elk were just, there's this thing that I, I've just been obsessed with since I was, uh, since I was young. And so it was just, uh, yeah, I don't know who knows what makes, uh, what makes something your favorite, but it, it definitely, uh, I, I can't recall when it wasn't my favorite, that's for sure. And is it something like, you know, for, for years, maybe you struggled at it because they were hard to access and maybe you didn't know uh, how to do it. And then finally, once you caught your stride, you, 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 you just honed in on uh, and specialized somewhat on, on the animal? Oh, for sure. I, I, my, uh, my dad, uh, the way I kind of learned to hunt elk, nobody really took me elk hunting. Uh, my dad would take me to trailhead and we'd look at maps and he kind of showed me how to read maps and would the, explain the country I was going to be looking for. But I mean, I was hunting on my own starting at 12. Um, and I didn't kill my first elk with a bow until I was 16. So I, I would say heavy on the trial and error. And, uh, you know, again, it was just one of those things that I just never could quite get it right. Um, and then, you know, finally, uh, finally killed one, my first elk with a bow when I was 16, uh, pretty nice six point, um, n- not because I was looking for a six point because it happened to be the only elk that, uh, had gotten within bow range that I could get on the ground. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of those things I, I look back, you know, it, it's still to this day when I, when I, you know, you're in the woods and you come across a spike who seems unusually dumb, um, you know, we've all run into them and I just go, man, where was that elk when I was 12? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I, I know the feeling. Brennan, with 19 mature bulls uh, under your belt and nine of those over 350 inches net with a bow, at what point did you finally say, I want to start killing big elk? Well, it, it, it kind of didn't happen that way. I, I happened to, I, I killed, I had killed two pretty nice bulls with my bow. My, my third elk with a bow was, uh, was, will, will probably be my biggest ever, you know, it was a state record when I killed it in Montana, um, 425 gross, 410 net. And it was just, you know, one of those things where sometimes in life you're in the right place at the right time. And you, you know, in, I, how, how old were you, Brendan? 22. That happened. 22. Yeah. 22. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And is that the bull that I saw uh, hanging in Schnee's when I was in Bozeman with the huge giant third point? It is. Yep. Yep. It has. A, how how long are those points? Uh, one is 31 and one is 30. I think 30 and one eighth. So they're 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 the longest G3s ever on on any bull ever scored. Or they were when I killed it, and it was 10 years. I, 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 there could have been something you know in the last couple of years that I don't know about, but it was. Uh, when I killed it, it's the longest G3s ever recorded. So yeah, just a just a freak of nature kind of bull. So I, you know, I I, I killed that bull. Uh, it was basically the third bull I ever killed with a bow. And so you know, it's hard to not let something like that kind of change your expectations. So that that, that kind of you know success and 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 being in the right place at the right time just kind of led to where you know I was looking for. I, I kind of jumped the shark a little bit, I would say. And 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 so a, a, a regular bull just wasn't quite the same after you kill something like that yeah and I was going to ask you that you know you you jumped into it pretty early killing a state record in Montana a giant bull over 400 after that I mean it probably sparked the interest to want to you know probably know that you'll never kill a bull like that again but 
did after that, after killing that bull, did it just kick it into, you know, hyperspace, as they would say in the Star Wars uh, uh, movies, and, and really want to focus on, you know, just trying to kill the biggest bull walking around? Yeah, I, I basically, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I, 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 I was really into it anyways, and then, you know, to kill a bull like that, and then you, you get to the point where you go, you know, for lack of a better term, I didn't really want to be a one-hit wonder. You know, I, I've always looked at guys that consistently kill big bulls, and I thought, you know, that's I, I want to develop the skill set that allows me to kill, you know, maybe not that caliber of bull, but a, a big bull every year. And, and there are there are guys that were doing it that I looked up to, and, and I just, you know, I, you know, again, not necessarily necessarily just killing one great big one, but um, you know, I want to kill a, a really big bull, every, the biggest bull I can find every year. And uh, yeah, it really. Um, kind of set me on a path where for a lot of years, that's, I mean, that was my only hobby. I mean, just scouting, hunting, looking at, uh, you know, new areas and, and, uh, you know, just wanted to have, you you wanted to taste that success again. And, uh, you know, doing everything I could to, to put myself in a position to hopefully, you know, have a bull of that caliber or, or big bulls in front of me, uh, on a consistent basis. Sure, and and you've shot another bull that went over 400 inches uh, here recently within the last year or so. Tell me a little bit about that bull. I uh, yeah, I killed a bull in Wyoming last year in 20. Uh, in, excuse me, in 2013. Um, yeah, it was a pretty interesting situation. Uh, one of my uh, a friend of mine that I knew kind of through the hunting world uh, had bought a Wyoming gives away about or sells about 50. Governor's tags a year, governors and commissioners tags, and it's basically a tag where you can hunt any any unit you want to. It doesn't allow you to. It's not like the statewide tags where you can hunt 365 or anything anywhere else. It basically gives you a tag that you could have drawn in Wyoming. And uh, yeah, there was about two weeks left in the in, in the in the 13 season, and uh, this guy um, had too many. He had a Nevada tag and a couple other things, and he just didn't have time. And he called a few guys and said, "Hey, I've got this governor's tag. There's about." two weeks left on the tag. If, uh, if anybody wants it, they can have it. And, and I believe it or not, I wasn't the first person that got the call, but I, <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I jumped all over it and said, yeah, I'll take it. And had about, uh, made a little more than two weeks to hunt. And, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Just called a bunch of, I called everybody in Wyoming that would pick up the phone and did, <laughs> did a bunch of research super quick and identified a couple areas and, and went down. There was a rifle hunt. Uh, there had, the areas had all been open for about, six weeks to a month. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really have any head start on anybody else. And yeah, I got, got in touch with some guys in Wyoming that knew a couple good areas and yeah, went in and, uh, yeah, found, I, I'd actually heard, uh, like seven or eight different people had told me about a great big bull that was, uh, that they had seen or heard about and it was all in one area. And I basically knew some guys that knew the area and we went in there and happened happened to find him and uh, spent a couple of days after him and uh, ended up killing him on the third day in that that area. And it was just just to you know just sometimes you're in the right place at the right time and uh, yeah, uh, 401 inch gross six by seven. At, uh, I think he netted typical 388 and something. You know, just a just a huge bull and it's one of those where uh, yeah, right place at the right time and you know just kind of a kind of a pretty cool story and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a definitely a cool experience that's awesome and then uh eight of those bulls that that you have that are over 350 inches eight of them are in montana so it's safe to say that montana obviously is your home and that's that's where your heart lies when it comes to hunting elk um 
talk to me a little bit about Montana elk hunting and maybe how it differs from other states that you have hunted, um, Brendan. Well, the only other states I've hunted, I had that Wyoming tag, and then uh, I've hunted, I've killed a couple bulls in Idaho, um, and then I had an Arizona tag, which I did not fill last year. So uh, I would say the big difference between Montana, well, and, and, and really some of the northern states like Wyoming and Idaho is that we get a hunt every year. I have an elk tag every single year, um, and that creates a little different dynamic. Uh, obviously, you get, you get to accumulate a lot more experience and, uh, um, you know, to be able to hunt you know, big bulls every single year. It obviously, uh, I think your, your learning curve goes up quite a bit. I mean, you can, you can be out looking at them, but if you don't have a tag in your pocket, uh, you know, just, it just adds a little different dynamic versus, you know, un- unfortunately for you guys don't, don't get tags enough. Yeah. And I mean, there's something to be said in my real estate business. My grandpa was always talking about having skin in the game and I, I I think what you're talking about is, you know, not having an actual tag in your pocket where you're trying to find and then go actually kill and harvest a, a big bull. If you're not practicing that skill every day and you don't have any skin in the game, it can be easy to maybe not hone your skills and be as sharp as uh, some of you guys that, uh, you know, hunt uh every year and and know that every september you're going to have a chance to you know get in there and and get after those bulls yeah it changes the dynamic a little bit it's it's a little more competitive because you know um i I would say the secrets aren't shared as much i mean i i don't i don't share secrets where i'm hunting or tell people about you know if i find a big bull uh you know it's not like that's the one chance i'm going to get a hunt to hunt them you know i've had bulls that i've looked at multiple years and it's taken me several years to kill them and and Certainly didn't tell anybody about them after I'd found them the first time because I, I knew I'd be able to hunt them again. And uh, so it's just it's just different. You know, we have a lot more private land up here um, versus down there where you guys, you know, a- access is tougher up here than it is um, down where you guys are hunting down in the south. I mean, you, it's hard to get tags and it's uh, it's easy to get on ground. And in Montana with the high, you know, uh, Montana, Wyoming and Idaho, there's there's a lot of private land. And so. Uh, you know, hunting around those kind of, uh, you're, you're limited by access, not by tags. Um, so it's just, it's just different. Um, uh, I, I can't say, I, I, I like this. I like the way having hunted Arizona and, and seeing how few tags you guys get, I, I definitely like the opportunity aspect of it more than, than, uh, than waiting on tags. Um, but you know, it's just different. You guys, you know, populations and everything else factor into those, those things. Sure. Um, I want to add before I go into your bow setup and such, um, all of those elk are all of those elk are all self-guided elk, correct? They are. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not opposed to going on a, on a guided hunt. I just haven't, uh, haven't been able to, or, uh, haven't, haven't found the right place to do it, but, uh, yeah, they, they've all been, like I said, just get a lot of opportunity here. Um, so. Sure. Sure. Brendan, I want to ask you about your bow setup. Uh, first about, uh, I know you shoot Hoyt bows. I want to talk to you about your relationship with Hoyt and uh, tell me about the bow that you're shooting now. And, and um, I want to know about uh, your broadhead, uh, your arrows, what grain arrows, uh, what grain broadhead, uh, you know, range finder, draw weight, your axle length, etc. Yeah, right now I'm shooting a, a Hoyt Carbon Spider. I think it's called the ZT. Um, really, really like the carbon bows. I've been, I've been, I've been shooting a Hoyt since 2004. Um, 
you know, I, I don't shoot a lot of other bows. I don't know how it compares to everything else. I, I, uh, I've just always shot that. Uh, I've always shot Hoyt. I've never had anything fail on me. It's just a bomb proof. Um, I shoot it really well. And so I, I just kind of uh, stuck with what works really good for me. Um, I like the carbon bow. It seems funny, but, uh, you know, uh, aluminum bows, your hand gets cold, uh, when the temperature is cold. And one thing I really like about the carbon bow is, uh, is that your hand doesn't get cold. So kind of take that for what it is. And, uh, I'm shooting, uh, uh, I have, I'm not blessed with a long draw length. I have, uh, I think I shoot a 27 and a quarter inch draw length. I shoot a, uh, 70 pound bow. Um, I shoot a 395 grain arrow and I've basically shot the same setup for the last five or six years. I'm shooting somewhere around 295 feet a second, um, with a 395 grain arrow. Um, right now I'm shooting a, uh, helix broadhead, which is a single bevel cut on contact broadhead. And, um, yeah, just a really good setup that works for me. I, uh, I tend to not like to reset my bows up year to year. I, I, I kind of, I shoot the same arrow. Um, if it works, I, I just, I just have kind of stuck with what, what works for me. I've got great penetration on all the bulls I've killed. And, uh, so I've just kind of stuck with, uh, with what's worked for me. Yeah, and, and I think uh, that's a great thing for the listeners to, to really hear is that, you know, once you find a system that works for you, it's real easy in this day and age to tinker and, and, and be constantly trying stuff. But when you've used something and a system that's proven, a lot of times it's best just to uh, take that equation out of the program and, you know, tinker here and there. But, you know, if, if, if you get too wild going in one direction or another, a lot of times that can be a hindrance when you could be focusing on other things. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Brendan? Yeah, it's uh, I know guys that, you know, change everything every year or whatever. You know, I, I shoot a trophy taker, fall away rest. I've, I've been friends with Dan for a long time. Um, I'm, I shoot a, a slider sight, a three pin slider sight that um, I just I just shoot stuff that works with my brain that I don't have to think about. It's been been long enough that I've that I've shot them that I, I, I never have any confusion run around you know I mean I just I just I just want to shoot stuff that it's like second nature and and the longer I shoot it the easier it is for me to you know I don't have to adjust anything I don't have to think about it I just you know I know uh, I know how it works for me so I, I'm I, I know a lot of guys that are really good archers and 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 guys that tinker with a lot of stuff so rather than doing that I, I generally just just call them and find out what the best new things are of something I'm missing out on. But, uh, yeah, I basically shot the same setup for a long time and works really good. And, um, yeah, so I, 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 I tend to, I'm kind of a creature of habit. Sure. Sure. And tell me a little bit about your practice, uh, Brendan, as you move through the summer. Well, first throughout the year, are you shooting all the time? Maybe give me your frequency and shooting and then tell me as the summer progress, as archery elk season is getting closer, Walk me through a little bit about how you practice and, and you know, maybe the, the frequency and, and how many arrows a day and, and um, kind of your, your system that you do. Well, it kind of varies on weather and stuff like that, but I have, I have a 80-yard range in my yard. Um, I don't do any, um, like, 3D, competitive, anything like that. I, I, everything I do is based on, you know, in, making myself a better hunter. So I, uh, I shoot field points. Um, if I'm messing around with, uh, with, a, with a new setup or kind of, you know, trying not to, you know, smash through a bunch of targets uh, all the time. But I pretty much everything I do is, is, is just trying to hone my, my system for, for elk season. So, I mean, about, uh, you know, 
you know, mid May and June, when the weather gets nice, I start shooting my, my exact hunting setup, including broadheads, you know, it, it, it wrecks a few targets. Um, but I just find that, uh, you know, I don't want to be switching stuff before the season. I mean, I, I shoot, um, I shoot broadheads. I, I mainly practice from 60 yards out. Um, I, I'll shoot a few shots every day, 40, 20 and all that, but I, I pretty much just shoot long range from, from 60 to 120. Um, I've just found that the better I can shoot at long range, the better it makes me at close range. And, uh, so I just practice. And as far as daily, uh, I, 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 uh, I work from a home office, so I'll probably shoot, you know, towards elk season. I'll, I'll shoot five, six, seven times a day, you know, eight to 10 arrows at a time, you know, just pop out and shoot a few times. Or, uh, you know, I just try and, I just try and keep it, uh, just try and keep my, my system to where it, it uh, I'm, I'm shooting real good. And, you know, I, I don't, I try not to shoot spots very often. I've got a few 3d targets. I try and, I try and just be real consistent. I, I want to, uh, I, I don't want to turn into a mental midget with, uh, you know, I, I have a real short memory when it comes to shooting and if I make a bad shot, I just forget about it and just realize that, you know, when it comes to elk hunting, you know, it's a pretty big target and I just need to be, I need to be pretty accurate and, uh, and be able to put it in, you know, a four or five inch circle every time. So I don't really try and micro tune and get, too too worried about really really detailed stuff it seems like that that makes your brain you know work too hard and maybe create some mental issues with shooting i just i just want to shoot pretty consistent and be really good and uh you know and try not you know like i said i try to have a short memory i don't i don't want to think about the bad shots and and only only look at the good shots sure and and brendan when you're out there uh, practicing, when you do have some, you know, go into some shooting slumps or you do have some days when you're not shooting as good, what would you say your weaknesses are or h- how do you handle those weaknesses when when you get into a, a deal where you're not shooting as well? What do you do? Uh, I generally hang up the bow and, and try to forget <laughs> about it. Um, you know, I've never, oh, knock on wood, I've never struggled with target panic. Um, I just, I just try to kind of try and take every shot as it comes. And I, and I, like I said, I don't really, I've had some times where I've shot spots a lot and I've, I've noticed I've been wiggling all over the area and stuff. And, and, and I, I've just, I've just basically tried to just tried to keep it consistent, not try to overthink it. Um, I know my setup's good. I know if something's not wrong with my bow, if I, if I'm just not shooting good that day, I, I generally just go hang it up and, and come back the next day and, and try and have a good session. But I, I, uh, the mental aspect is, you know, I, I've seen guys come unraveled. Um, and I've been around some friends that have had, had trouble shooting and it's something I've really tried to avoid. And have thus far, like I said, knock on wood, been able to avoid it. So I just, I just try and keep real consistent. You know, I, I, I try and, not too high, not too low. I just want to stay right in the middle, you know. Yeah. And and speaking about that, when you're focused on killing a big bull elk, um, how do you handle the moment of truth? Um, you know, when uh, the bull that you've been watching and trying to pattern and, you know, you're, you're finally in there. How do you mentally, what do you tell yourself? How do you walk through the, the you know, the moment of truth? Um, and how do you ex- execute the shot and not have elk fever, get excited, panic, the whole thing? What do you, what do you do, Brendan? Well, I've, I've had, I, I, I've thought about it a lot. I mean, I, one pretty good advantage that I've got is, um, uh, I basically killed the biggest bull I'll ever hunt. And, uh, 
I hope that's not the case, but but in reality, it probably is. And so kind of in the back of my mind, it's always like, well, no matter what happens, you know, it's it's not, you know, the shot of a lifetime or something I'll look back on forever. Um, you know, uh, Randy Ulmer told me one time uh, I asked him what the difference between him and, you know, uh, everybody else. And this was probably 10 years ago. And he said the last 10 seconds. And it really kind of stuck with me that, you know, if you don't do it, if you don't finish, you know, you can get a great opportunity and a lot of guys get close, but if you don't see it all the way through and make sure you get that bull killed, um, it's all for nothing. So I just try and stay calm and realize that, um, you know, it's not the end of the world. Again, I have a real short memory. I've, I've missed some bulls. I've wounded some big bulls. Um, I just have a short memory. I forget about it. Um, you, you, you can't look back. There's nothing you can do about it once it's over, and you just, you know, it's kind of like any competition in athletics. It can eat you up, or you can just learn from it and move on. And like I said, I just got a real short memory when it comes to uh, to, to negative stuff like that. If uh, if something happens and it doesn't work out, I just move on, and you know, hopefully, uh, it definitely gets easier the more you the more good ones you get, the easier it gets. Um, which doesn't make it easier to get to that point, but uh, yeah, it's just I just. <laughs> Like I said, I just try and see it all the way through. And, you know, you, the more work you put in, the easier it is to uh, to execute, you know. Absolutely. For sure. That's great stuff. Um, Brennan, your hunting style, I know, is different than a lot of guys um, uh, that, that elk hunt. Tell me about your hunting style and how it developed and, and how how did you hone your skill and your style? Well, like I said, I, I, I'm basically, um, you know, my dad helped me identify my dad basically taught me what to look for elk hunting but i i basically started elk hunting and have continued basically i hunt by myself um and uh that it, it, what it is is you know as, as a few of my good buddies would say you know i couldn't call an elk if he had a phone i i really <laughs> truly am not a good elk caller it's not something that's even it, it's not in my top 10 things to do on, on any situation with a bull. Now I can, I can bugle and I can, you know, and I, I locate elk and all that stuff. But as far as interacting with elk and, and talking to them, like you guys do, I, I, that's really never been a skill set that I've had. What I've, I've always, um, I, I've always looked at it. Like, uh, I, I just, I want to, I want the first time a bull knows that I'm hunting him to be when my arrow is hanging out of his chest. And I, I'm, I'm very conservative. I, I'm, I'm, I can be super aggressive, like more aggressive than pe- people are shocked. And when I have hunted with people like at the right times beyond aggressive, but the rest of the time I, I really like to hang back and kind of let, let an elk make a mistake versus getting in and interacting with, with them. And, and it's basically from hunting alone. Um, I, I have rarely ever hunted with, I've, I've got a few hunting partners that we, you know, have hunted together a few times, but the majority of the elk I've killed alone and by myself um and so that just isn't real conducive to calling and and a lot of the areas we hunt that i hunt here in montana are that the elk are really call shy i mean they there's a lot of people around i mean again everybody has a tag every year and so uh and maybe i'm just it could be just a terrible caller one or the other <laughs> it's it just it's never been something that's worked well for me so um it, it's more of a still hunting uh you know kind of a outside observer type style and and spot and stock and and again i don't think and it may step on some toes but i don't i don't think you can call and specifically kill or at least i can't anyways can call and specifically kill a bull you're after i mean most of the bulls that i've killed i've actually 
seen that bull, identified that bull as that's a bull I'm after, and then and then tried to kill that bull. Well, you know, calling is such a broadcast thing that um, it's just never worked well for me, and so I've, I've never really taken to it. And you know, you kind of lean towards what you're good at, and so like I said, hunting sure. alone has that that has kind of you know led towards the style that that I hunt. I want to bounce back to something you just said, and that's when you find a bull and then you hone in and you try and kill that bull. One of the my favorite things to do, whether it be elk or any other animal, is to find one particular animal and then study that animal, figure out what he's doing, figure him out, and then try and predict where I need to put myself in the correct position. Talk to me about identifying a particular bull that you want to kill and how do you what are the steps that you take then to execute and, and harvest that bull? Well, it seems like it varies year to year. You know, some years you can find a great big bull and, and that's kind of your target bull and, and, and others you can't. And I, and I don't know what the, you know, it's whether, you know, how much energy you put into it or how much scouting you're doing or anything else. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy killing specific bulls that I've been after. I usually nickname them. You know, my wife always thinks it's funny. They, they, uh, they always end up with a nickname and, and, and they kind of become an obsession you know, for that season or several years sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I just, I, you know, big elk is kind of how you define it. You know, I'm, I, in, in general, I'm always just trying to kill the biggest elk I can find, you know, in some years it's a mega giant and some years it's just a really good one. And, and some years based on your time, you know, it depends on, on how much time you have to, to put into it. But, uh, I, I really enjoy hunting a specific animal and, uh, you know, I just, I just, I just really start by, I call it tightening the noose. And you start watching from afar and, and uh, you kind of start figuring out what they're doing and you hopefully can find them multiple times and you just start kind of creeping in on them and getting closer and closer. And, um, you know, most of the bulls that I end up killing, you know, I, I never end up spook, you know, I, I try not to ever spook them or blow them out or I'd rather, I'd rather take the extra time and just, uh, and, and just, just, just get to know them or, or, or get to know their, the, the patterns and, and or whether you're hearing them or seeing them or, you know, you're seeing the herds and what they're doing. But uh, you just just trying to uh, make sure that you know them well enough to where, you know, you can work yourself into where you, you hope to get one good opportunity at a big bull if you can find them. I mean, I, I, I rarely, in fact, I, I think I, I can only think of one big bull that I've killed that I had two chances at. Um, so, you just want to make sure that when you do get that opportunity, you can, you can pounce on it. Um, so. Brendan, I, you know, there's so much that goes on in the hunting industry and people talk about trophy hunting as, as opposed to uh, meat hunting and, and, you know, we're all hunters and, and, you know, everybody has their own reason for hunting and what have you. And some never look at the antlers, uh, but most do. And, and most, uh, guys that I hunt with, uh, most guys that I talk with, even even fishing. I mean, people fish, take the fish home and eat it, but everybody likes to catch a big fish, just like everybody likes to, to kill a big bull. Talk to me a little bit about trophy hunting versus, you know, guys that are just hunting for meat. And, and, and there's a perception out there that if you're a trophy hunter, which I'm going to say I am a trophy hunter, I, I love to eat what I kill, but I'm a trophy hunter. Talk to me a little bit about your perception in the industry. I, I just see a negative slide sometimes on people that are specifically focused on one animal, trying to kill that animal, 
the biggest bull they can find and spending, you know, the whole season trying to kill a trophy, you know, a trophy. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I just look at it as it's more of a challenge. And, and I, you know, so, you know, if somebody wants to go, uh, you know, fill, there's nothing wrong with filling the freezer. I think it's kind of how people define, uh, define what it is. I mean, I, I'm pretty blessed. You know, I got a job uh, in hunting and I have a ton of time. And I always tell people, you know, the, the biggest factor and everything is, you know, the amount of time that I can put into it. And I just I really enjoy the challenge. And, yeah, I think trophy hunting is misunderstood. I mean, um, y- you know, I mean, y- y- you want to everybody wants to succeed. It's it's it's, you know, I guess trophy hunting elk for me is the closest thing to athletic competition. I've uh, I've been able to sum up, you know, that the, the big bull that I killed last year doesn't you know the the elk that I kill la- that I kill that I'm going to hunt this year does not care what I've killed in the past it's it's a consistent um it's a consistent challenge every time to kill something and and the more specific that animal is or the more specific the challenge the the more fun it is when you accomplish it and, and you know I think the trophy is definitely in the eye of the beholder I, I know some guys there's some guys here in Montana that are really consistent and if, you know they don't hunt areas that have a lot of big elk but they always get a nice one and they're, you know, like that, that's, that's, a, that's a trophy in that area. I mean, it's not necessarily the score that means anything. I mean, um, I love killing big old bulls um, and I really love killing big old bulls that I've seen before and named and watched. And it just makes it more special to me. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it just, it just depends on what you're, what you're into, how much time you have um, and, 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 you know, what, what you're looking for. Um, yeah. There's, you know, the, the trophy on it, it just makes it more fun for me. Um, is, sure. is basically what it boils down to. Sure, and and by being choosy and trying to kill a specific animal, I mean it get it allows you to spend way more time in the woods. And if you love it like you do and like I do, you know, one thing I try and tell people is, you know, if I was just out there trying to kill a bull, I'd be done on the first day just about every time. And it allows me to spend thirty days in the season, you know, chasing them and and you know, watching them and listen to them bugle. Is that kind of how you approach it as well? Yeah, I don't want it to be done. You know, yeah, I mean, just, you know, again, it boils down to time. I I'm, I have the luxury of I can basically hunt as long as I want uh, chasing one elk. And that's a real challenge to kill the specific bull you're after. And, and you know, some years it goes good and some years it doesn't go as good. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I love to actually hunt. It's not about it's not about killing an elk or, or, you know, finally getting one on the ground. I mean, I, I love to hunt elk. It's my, you know, I've hunted, I've been blessed to hunt all over the, all over the world now and, and, and lots of different animals in North America and all over. And, um, aside from sheep and, and, and really sheep and elk are the, the two things I just love to hunt no matter, no matter where it's at. So yeah, it just gives you more opportunity. And, you know, I don't have any other hobbies. I mean, I've got a, a two and a half year old son and I'm married and, and, but as far, I don't fish hardly anymore and, and, and hunting's just, it's what I love to do. So yeah, I don't want to end it early and uh, you know, occasionally you'll get one early and get, and get the big guy killed, but uh, yeah, it just makes it more fun. Absolutely. You know, you just mentioned getting to hunt all over the world. Um, you just got back from an awesome trip like a day or two ago from Argentina. As much as you love to hunt elk, uh, you wanted to go hunt the cousin's of the elk, the red stag down in Argentina. Can you tell me a little bit about that trip? Yeah, it was a, it was a really cool trip. I just got back a couple of days, a couple of days ago. And uh, yeah, I went and uh, I hunted uh, in the, in Patagonia, um, in the Andes. Um, uh, one of our, um, one of our 
uh, outfitters on our, our guide and outfitter program at Kuyu um, at one of the shows this year came up and said, you know, we, we were talking gear and getting them set up. And he, he basically invited me to come down and go red stag hunting down in Argentina. And, you know, the beauty of, you know, red stag is in the Southern hemisphere is their fall is our, our, our spring. So, uh, you know, they're just, they're just coming into the roar, uh, when, when I went down there. So yeah, I flew down to, uh, Buenos Aires and then flew down, uh, to Patagonia and went in on a, it was a, it was a heck of a hunt. I mean, it was, it was eerily similar to Montana. I mean, we were flying in, it looked like, you know, any airport in Montana and the mountains were very similar to Montana and Northern Wyoming, uh, in the Rockies here, they had more of a hardwood feel to them. And, uh, yeah, t- we did a, uh, 40 to 50 mile horseback ride into the Andes and, and hunted a, a national park, which is kind of like a, would be considered like national forest here. It's, it's undeveloped area. And, uh, yeah, I killed a really nice stag, uh, in a, in a big hanging basin, uh, up in the Andes, uh, yeah, I guess about a week ago. And it was, uh, it was a heck of a hunt. They're a really cool animal. They're kind of misunderstood. Um, uh, the, the, it was, it was a really cool trip and yeah, a lot like elk. It was just, it was like elk hunting only, uh, only down in Argentina, and uh, yeah, it was it was a really cool trip. Were they roaring, or did you just miss the roar? We just missed the roar. It was well, I, I killed two stags down there. Actually, we killed one on a big cattle ranch on the last day that they have leased. That's uh, just a, just a monster place, and they were they were kind of at the very tail end of the roar there. But when we got up in the mountains, they hadn't had rain for over a month, and it pounded the whole time we were there. Rain, so we missed the roar. I did hear the stags roaring a couple times, but we were basically on the tail end of it, which, uh, I definitely want to go back and catch it during the middle of the roar. But it was, uh, the, the mountain hunt I did up in the Andes was basically kind of like hunting post rut elk. Um, they were kind of, you know, get, getting their nutrition back in them, uh, feeding above timberline, just trying to get caught up from, from a long year. In fact, the bull that I killed, the stag that I killed had two broken brow, he broke four points off his rack um during the roar so he was he was pretty busted up but uh yeah it was it was really cool and they're a they're a neat animal for sure that's awesome that sounds like a cool trip i can't wait to see the photos and stuff from that from that hunt um getting back to uh elk and archery elk hunting specifically um what is your strategy to finding big bulls? Um, you know, what type of country are you finding? What are some of the characteristics that you've seen over the years to to figure out that these big bulls like to hang in? Well, um, yeah, I kind of have a spreadsheet kind of mentality of uh, a checklist of things that are increase the odds of, of of an elk growing to maturity. I mean, the one the one thing people I don't think a lot of people realize is the majority of the biggest bulls are between you know eight and 14 years old, they, they need to get old age to get big. And so you got to look at an area and go, you know, is, 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 can it, you know, does it have the feed? Does it have the, the habitat? Um, does it have the, does it lack the pressure that allow them to get old? So I generally like to hunt, you know, areas with, with some agriculture, you know, for higher food. Um, I like to hunt areas that have low rifle hunting pressure. Um, limited rifle tags is kind of, my number one, like I rarely hunt an area that has, you know, general tags. And of course in Montana, it's, you know, it's a six week general rifle season in a lot of areas. So I, I, uh, you know, I think only twice I've killed, uh, good bulls in, in general areas, but, uh, I like to hunt areas that have limited rifle hunting opportunity and it just, it allows the bulls to get older. Um, and it just, you know, I just want to increase, you know, before I even start scouting or looking around or looking for specific bulls, I want to, I want to put all the odds on, on, on my side at, that, that a big bull will be there. 
Sure. Sure. Absolutely. That's, um, you know, you can't hunt a big bull if he's not going to be there, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the number one, you know, people are like, Oh, what, what, what are you, what are you after this year? It's, you know, you, you can only kill what's there. Um, you, you can't make them appear out of thin air and they don't, uh, you, you know, they, they have to be there to find them. And, and, uh, so I, I just try and put myself consistently in areas that, that will grow an elk that will allow an elk to get to, to the age and the size, you know, genetics plays some part of it, but, uh, I would say age, you know, for, for a bull big enough that I'm normally trying to hunt, uh, age will generally get them there. Sure. Brendan, are you on a lot of your archery elk hunts? Are you backpacking way back 15, 20, 30 miles back into the back country? Or do you find yourself hunting, uh, flatter ground or what's, what's the main ingredient there? Um, I have done some backpack hunts. I, I, I killed a bull last year way in, um, a really tough hunt, actually a late season hunt. But in general, our biggest elk do not occur in the back country. And that's that kind of some people find that hard to believe. But, um, you know, the best food, you know, the, the bulls that live way back in the back country, they, 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 they winter really hard. You know, they spend half the year starving to death um, and it doesn't they don't have access to agriculture or, you know, um, really good feed. So. Uh, in general, in, in in Montana and Wyoming and Idaho, a lot of the best areas that hold the biggest bulls are not that far from the road. Um, I, I would say majority of the bulls I've killed uh, are, are are day huntable. Um, you know, four to you know one to six miles in, but rarely. Um, you, you know, this this is a state where there's a lot of people with a lot of tags and, 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 and there's a lot of guys that are pretty serious. I mean, a, a real high percentage of them. And I, you know, qu- you know, a few years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you could outwalk people. You can't outwalk people anymore. I mean, I have seen people so far in, it's unbelievable and lots of them. So you just have to hunt smarter anymore. Um, uh, I killed a bull in 2011 that was, you know, 700 where where he ended up dying was 700 yards from a public road he was on a state section uh public ground anybody could hunt with not a tree on it um you just have to be smarter um you gotta you gotta think you you gotta you gotta hunt where the elk are and 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 they may not be there all the time but um yeah in general they're not they're not as far in as people think they are you can't i just anymore it's pretty hard to outwalk people and outwalk pressure sure that's 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 good advice there, Brendan. Um, I want to talk about uh, guys you respect in the industry and why. Um, you know, there's some phenomenal people in our industry. Who are those guys that you really look up to in our industry? Well, I've I've had a chance to hunt with a few guys. You know, as far as elk hunters go, you know, I mean, you look at guys like uh, Dan Evans and Randy Ulmer and Chuck Adams, and and you know, the the thing that's um, that's really impressive and 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 is uh you know commendable is is consistency and you, you see guys like that that are consistently killing good bulls every single year um that's not easy to do and it's you know anybody can kill a great big bull i mean i was 22 when when i killed my biggest bull i mean it proves anybody can kill a great big bull it it, it happens people get lucky um to consistently kill a lot of big bulls is is very hard to do or, or like you know uh, casey brooks or you know some of these guys that no matter, um, and, and people like to quantify it as, well, he got to hunt this place or, you know, this guy hunts private or he buys these landlord tags. It, it doesn't really matter. A guy that that is consistently killing 
big bulls and making good on every opportunity they're given that that that's that's impressive no matter where they're at or what they're hunting um it's not easy to do yeah and and those guys you named are all guys that uh, consistently get it done and you know wherever they're hunting those guys you mentioned where wherever you put them if you drop them off more times than not they're going to consistently outproduce uh, a lot of people for sure uh, Brendan, in the hunting industry itself, it seems like with pro staffs and uh, just all the different, you know, everybody's trying to sell something, which I understand. It's a, it's a business and what have you, but it seems like credibility is, is an issue out there. And it seems like you see guys switching from, you know, one manufacturer to another overnight. And all of a sudden they go from one is the best to the next is the best, and it's like Ford Chevy. You can't be both. I mean, you can use both, but it's talk to me. What's your thoughts on credibility with some of the stuff going on in the hun- hunting industry? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where uh, you know I think times have just changed. You know, I, I always say you know the the, the 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 term pro staff is probably the most overused thing in the world, and. Uh, you know, when you could buy the hat that said pro staff, uh, the franchise was dead. <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, everybody's trying to, um, you know, better themselves and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, um, you know, one, one of the deals, it's it just if you're consistent and um, and you're using the same stuff and, and, and you're, you know, just, you're just kind of a reliable guy that, that is, you know, I, I think people just see through that more than they did in, in, in back in the day, you know, they, you know, sure. they, they know if it's, um, authenticity is very easy to spot. And, and, and on the same note, you know, people that aren't authentic, um, are very easy to spot as well. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, I, I'm, you, you just, if you're if you're honest and you just uh, you just use what you use, then uh, you know there's nothing wrong with vouching for a product. But to bounce around looking for, you know, so, so somebody would say you're on a pro staff, it just you know, and and being on a pro staff is not <laughs> it's not what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> yeah, that you couldn't have said it. I couldn't have said it any better. Um, Brennan, you are the uh, guide and outfitter. Uh, program director for Kuyu. Uh, I believe you were the first employee of Kuyu. Tell me about your relationship with Kuyu and with Jason Harrison. Yeah, I was uh, the first first person he hired uh, in uh, basically in November of 2010. I started working for Jason. I had known him um, earlier when he was uh, at Sitka and, and had been involved with those guys and, and helped him design and some stuff and, and been involved with them. But when uh, when he started Kuyu, he, uh, he reached out to me and um, he asked me if I'd be interested in, in, uh, in, in being a part of what he was, what he was working on and, uh, knowing the guy and, and, and knowing the kind of vision and, and, uh, the kind of person he was, I was, uh, all for it. It was, it was great. So yeah, I've, I've been working, uh, since, uh, basically since we started. So it was, uh, it's been a great opportunity, obviously to work in the industry is a, a dream come true. And, and especially at a company like, uh, like Kuya, where we just got some really cool stuff going on and it's, uh, it's it's as neat as it seems. I, I, I people ask me all the time, like, oh, what's it like? And it's it, it, it's it's cool to develop new product. The, the best part about my job is uh, the people I meet and the places I get to go and, and the cool stuff we deal with. Uh, 
you know, whether it's customers or, or outfitters or guides or uh, it's just a it's, it's it's a really cool job. From your perspective, uh, uh, knowing both you and Jason uh, like I do, from from your perspective, um, what what makes Jason Jason, and what makes Kuyu Kuyu? As far as to me, they stand out above. You know, uh, when I sit down and talk with Jason, when I punt it around Jason, he's just a step above people. It's like he's 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 down to earth, but he's also has you know, the extreme book knowledge. What is it about Jason that makes, makes him who he is? Yeah. I mean, it's just, he just is on the next level as far as development stuff and, and fabrics and designs. And, and, and I mean, like I said, I, I, he, he, he's, he's actually that way. He's always tinkering with something like people are always like, man, what, what, what new stuff do you got coming out with? I can't even tell you how many prototypes or, you know, new designs or, or gear that he's tinkering with all the time. It's, it's pretty cool to see. And, and when you're around somebody that, that is, is driven to, to produce, uh, you know, stuff that, that, that basically solves problems. He's, he's a big problem solver. He like, he looks at, he looks at everything he looks at and goes, oh, I, I think we can make that better. Or oh, that doesn't seem like the best way to go about that. Or, and, and when it comes to fabrics and designs and, and, and he's driven to build the best stuff and it's, it's really fun and cool to be around. Um, you know, to see, you know, you know, basically trying to solve the problems in mounting in, in mountain hunting. And uh, yeah, it's fun. I mean, development meetings are, are awesome. And, and, you know, it's, that stuff's really going on. So it's, it's, it's just a fun, fun thing to do. I mean, you, you know, they, they always say, if you, uh, you, you can find something you love to do, you won't work a day in your life. And that's, that's how it feels like uh, working at Kuyu. It's just, it's just fun. And there's always a lot of cool stuff going on. It's work, but it's, uh, it's interesting stuff. What gear are you using, uh, Kuyu gear for? And let's talk specifically. One of these times, I want to do a Bighorn Sheep um, episode with you and talk to you. You've guided uh, some of the largest rams ever shot in the world, and I want to go over some of your sheep gear with Kuyu. But let's talk specifically archery elk hunting. Uh, what pant, shirt, vest, jacket, boots, uh, packs, hydration, uh, go through what your everyday setup is uh, for your gear. Yeah, I, uh, it, it depends on the hunt, obviously, and, and I, I assume we're talking bow hunting in early season. Yes, um, yes. My, my, I, I've, we, we've got a couple of products that we've added in that, you know, I run into hot weather, even here in Montana. I run into, it seems like the more and more, and I don't know if it's global warming or, or I'm not a conspiracy <laughs> theorist, but I tend to get hot anymore, uh, more than anything. So my system anymore is, is trying to stay cool during the day um, and, 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 and stay warm when, when it's cold out. And again, I'm not, I would say I'm camping out, you know, backpacked in maybe 30% of the time. So not, not a ton, um, not, a, not, not the majority of the time. So uh, my early season elk setup is, you know, I, we have full zip long underwear, which if, if anybody hasn't seen those or tried them, they're, they're pretty much the greatest thing ever, ever built. Um, so I, I, our Tiburon stuff is our, is our desert hunting stuff, our early season stuff. And I find myself wearing the Tiburon stuff until late September. Um, and the Tiburon stuff is, it has the air dot technology, yep. right? That lets the air breathe, uh, flow in and out of the garment. Yep. It's, it's basically the lightest pant made in hunting. Uh, the, it's an early season pant. They're, they're surprisingly durable for as light as they are. Um, 
they got the full hip vents, um, but they just uh, with our full zip long underwear allows me to you know get in and out of long underwear you know instead of in the morning thinking oh should I wear long underwear or not um, you can take them off. And, and let me add to that uh, the full zip you're talking where you can basically pull your your pants down to your ankles unzip your underwear long underwear pull them off and pull your pants back up in less than what 25 seconds yeah it's pretty quick it's uh if if you're hunting with somebody that doesn't have them it's it's really rubbing it in um because they got to take their boots off yeah, and everything else yeah yeah so I, I i use that um and then tiburon pants i use a a super lightweight shirt generally a long sleeve uh t-shirt like a like a 125 or 145 merino um, my second layer I like either the Tiburon shirt or um, we've got a heavier Merino and we've got some new stuff that we just came out with called the Peloton, which I've been using, which is a, which is a really high performance fleece um, that I really like. And then uh, I wear a vest a lot, uh, our guide vest, I, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of like a saddle blanket. Um, when I'm carrying a pack, I just really like to have a vest and it's more out of habit than anything. Um, and then, uh, anymore, I've basically been, I, I have a, a super down, a, a micro insulation down jacket in my pack. And then uh, when it comes to elk hunting, the lightest rain gear we make, um, which is our new Ultra NX rain gear um, or the Chugach. Um, and so I, I try and, you know, just like sheep hunting or everything else, I mean, I try and keep it as light as possible. I'm, I'm a minimalist. I would rather have a little bit less than I need, especially early season where you're not really going to get in. Uh, you're not really going to have a problem with wet. You know, if you do get wet and cold, you can get out to your truck or, or you know, if, if something freak happens, I, I don't plan for a freak storm. I, I basically plan for kind of normal weather and, and deal with whatever comes. And, you know, as long as you can stay dry, um, you're pretty good to go. So that that's kind of my, my full system elk hunting um, gators. And then, uh, yeah, I just try and go as minimal as possible. I like to be able to move. Um, I, I want to be able to cover as much country as I can. Um, if I'm day hunting, I take as small a pack as I can. If I'm not going that far, a lot of times I won't even take a pack. Um, just carry one water bottle in my back pocket, my rangefinder, my release, and my bow, uh, my tag and camera, and one little pocket on my on my uh, on my belt, and and that's it. I mean, the, the least I can get away with, that's what I want to take. So you're you're very much a minimalist. Yep. And um, obviously your your hydration pack you're not carrying a hydration you're just carrying a bottle of water and call it good. I I I tend I'll I'll carry a hydration pack if I'm carrying a, a backpack. Um, yeah. But a lot. Of, and will that be the 1850 most of the time? Um, elk kind of yeah 1850 or our 3200. Um, okay. And, and then you know if it's if it's a multi day trip it'll be our I I in, in Montana I tend to use the 5200 the most for a multi day trip but um, yeah so. Uh, but yeah, when I'm going super minimal, I take, uh, you know, just, just a, just a squishable water bottle and put it in my back pocket. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'm probably going to get pretty dry, but, uh, I just find that the less I can take and the, and the faster I can move, the better off I'm going to be, uh, if an opportunity presents itself. Let's talk about footwear. Um, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Um, but what are you wearing, you know, most of the time, uh, as far as footwear? Um, I bet half the bulls that I've killed, I've killed wearing running shoes. Um, and if it's, uh, kind of getting later weather or rain or whatever I, I wear, uh, I'm wearing Scarpa boots right now. Um, I, during elk season, I wear 
uh, I basically as light a boot as I can get. Um, I like a synthetic boot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, a lot of times I'm wearing running shoes. Like I said, I'm, I'm trying to be as light as possible. And, you know, I'm not really a lot of the hunting I do is not in, in super, super rugged areas, you know, and I, I've got good ankles. I never rolled an ankle before knock on wood. So, uh, I can get away with a, with a low top that I can move pretty quick in. Um, you mentioned, uh, uh, synthetic boots. Um, when did you switch to synthetics from a full leather boot and why? Uh, it's been a couple years I've been messing around with them. Um, and I still wear a leather boot. You know, I've, I've worn, uh, you know, we, we've got a, a new Scarpa that's a little bit later season, kind of heavier boot um, that, I, that I love. Um, the, the, the Kuya boot? You mean? Yeah, yeah the, the, yeah, the Grand Drew. Um, and then um, but I started wearing a synthetic boot a couple years ago. I've, I've been messing around with it here and there. Um, and it's just, just lightweight and they don't stretch very much, which is, which has been pretty nice, but I bet I've got no exaggeration, 25 pairs of boots in my garage and 15 different pairs of running shoes. I mean, I'm, I'm changing all the time. Always, always looking for something, uh, that, that works better for any situation, uh, all the time. And throughout the season as you're hunting archery elk, are you switching, uh, let's say you're with your running shoes, are you switching every day, every other day, or are you wearing the same pair day after day? Yeah, I switch them out. You know, they tend to get, you know, sweated up or whatever. I, t- I change them out as much as possible. Not, I, I know some guys are pretty extreme, have 10 pairs, but uh, I, I definitely want to change them out as much as, as, much as possible. And are you wearing a insole at all, a special insole? Yeah, I do. I, I use the uh, the Superfeet. The, uh, the blue one is the one I use, the, the blue Superfeet. And I believe it's the blue one for high arch or low arch? I'm I think not sure. low arch. I don't have – I got a pretty flat foot. Okay. And um, are you pretty happy with the Superfeet? I am, yeah. I've been using them for a couple of years. And, uh, yeah, they, they they don't seem to absorb much either. They're they're pretty – you can you can keep them pretty, pretty, pretty smelling pretty clean, so – so just to be clear, Brennan, going back to the pants that the Kuyu pants that you wear, uh, your, your go-to pants for archery elk hunting in Montana and Wyoming and Idaho and that country is going to be the Tiburon pant, not the Attack or the Alpine, the, uh, just because of a lighter. Yeah, well, it, it's two things. I'll, I'll either wear the if it's a little bit cooler, I wear the Attack pant or the or the. Um, and actually, in Argentina, I just I was wearing the uh, the Alpine pant, which I really like. It's got the knee pad in it, and I really like zippered pockets. So I, I would say, you know, the majority of the time I'll be wearing the Tiburon if it's going to be really hot. You know, if you're seeing 70 and 80 degrees, which it seems like I see more and more every year, really hot weather, especially early. Um, if not, I switch the attack pan and the, and the, uh, and the, uh, Alpine pan. Um, I, I really like that Alpine pan. I like the zippered pockets. I like the knee pads in it. Um, so yeah, it just depends on the situation. Um, uh, or, you know, are all the pants have hip vents, so it's, it's nice. You can, you know, you can vent them and, um, I'm just look, I'm just looking to be as comfortable as possible and, and be able to move as fast as I can most of the time. Sure. Can you tell me about the new gear you were talking about? I don't have it yet. The Peloton um, stuff. I'm not familiar with that. Can you give me a little insight on that? Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a, it's a technical fleece. Um, it's basically a synthetic line we came out with. You know, we've we've always had uh, since inception. We've had Merino's been kind of the the base layer and and mid layer that we've been using. And and uh, we've had a lot of requests for for fleece. And and I know Jason was uh, for for a technical um, synthetic, um, layer, you know, synthetics, there, there's definitely some, some, 
some added advantage to a synthetic. They, they, they tend to dry faster in the little heavier weights. Um, so yeah, we just added, it's just another line, uh, makes, makes our line quite a bit deeper. And, uh, we added a couple hoodies, which has been probably the number one most requested thing we've, you know, you always get bugged every day about, you know, when are you going to come out with a hoodie? And uh, we got a couple of great hoodies, midweights, uh, midweight, and then kind of a heavier weight, you know, uh, wind resistant hoodie. And then uh, a couple of uh, lightweight synthetic base layer shirts, which, you know, Merino is still um, superior if you're wearing it multiple days. Um, but if, you, you know, if you can change every single day, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pluses of synthetic and, and a lot of people don't like to feel a Merino. So it just, just adds another, uh, just another um, thing to our line. And how does this material feel against the skin? Very soft. Uh, I mean, synthetics, uh, no itch whatsoever. And, and like I said, if you had some, most of the stuff out there is synthetic. So, I mean, just about anybody will, will like to wear it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice. I've, uh, I've used it quite a bit now and I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed and, and definitely just, just adds another, another, another tool to the toolbox. Um, you know, obviously seems like uh, something else you can, um, that, we, that we've added in, but uh, you know, there's definitely a place for, for all the new stuff. Sure. And will that, will it be safe to say that you'll be wearing that, uh, the Peloton shirt, uh, coming up this archery elk season? I will. Yep. Yep. For sure. Okay. Sounds good. Well, that's all great information. Uh, Brendan, it's been awesome having you on the show today. Um, like I said, there's so much more we can talk about. I do want to talk to you about bighorn sheep. Uh, you have, uh, harvested with clients some of the largest uh, sheep ever shot in the world um and i want to talk to you all about that on another episode and i just uh really want to thank you for being with us today and and um you know your success that you've had uh archery elk hunting and, and elk hunting in general is 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 awesome and um you know the passion that you have for it is is uh you know contagious and uh you know, I enjoy always getting an email from you, an update, a phone call, and, and um, seeing what you're doing. And uh, uh, what do you have on tap uh, this year coming up uh, for archery elk season? Um, archery elk season as of right now uh, is, is Montana. I, uh, I, I, uh, I, got, I got one bull in mind that I'm, uh, I'd, really like to, I'd really like to see make a mistake. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of I, – I don't really like to hunt multiple hunts a year. I find myself I'd rather concentrate on one. Um, I've had years where I've had multiple tags and, um, yeah, I just, it, this year, uh, my, as of right now, unless I draw anything, Nevada, Utah, um, stuff like that, I'll, uh, I'll definitely just, just be hunting Montana and, and looking forward to it. So that's awesome, man. Well, I can't wait to see what you get this year. And, um, I know that, uh, you, you just love chasing those big bulls and, um, my hat's off to you for the success you've had. And, and thanks for talking to us about the gear and, and, um, you know, you're, you're, uh, a great guy for Jason to have. And I know, uh, he was happy to, um, have you as his first employee. And I think one of the things that makes you guys, this relationship work so well is you're just, you're not a guy that's a yes guy. You're, you're, I, I mean, I've seen you flat out just say, you know, this, you know, your opinion. And, and I think, uh, hats off to you for, uh, you know, not being the guy that just agrees with everything. And, and I think that what, that's one of the things that adds some extreme credibility to Kuyu is that, you know, you and Jason, as well as your team, 
um, don't always agree. And you guys can come up with the best stuff by not, you know, always agreeing with each other and, and pushing each other to, um, to, you know, find the next best thing. Um, so my hat's off to you for that. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely fun and, uh, there's no, no right answers to everything. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, pretty cool. And yeah, I appreciate you. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Brennan, you take care and, um, we'll be chatting at you, uh, one of these days about sheep and then probably do a follow up with, uh, with some of your other hunts. And I just want to wish you the best this fall. Okay. Same to you, Jay. Really appreciate it. Have a good All right. Day. Take care. Yeah. What an awesome opportunity to get to talk to Brendan Burns about some of his experience with archery elk hunting, and I can't wait to have him on the show and discussing sheep. He is, him and his partner have guided for the largest bighorn sheep in the world. Uh, I want to say multiple rams over 200 inch mark. Uh, just a phenomenal accomplishment, and they're a true well, uh, source of knowledge that. Uh, that uh, we can learn something from. I want to thank you guys, our listeners, for tuning in uh, and supporting us. Uh, if you haven't, please go on iTunes and give us a five-star rating and leave leave a review. That helps our uh, standings with iTunes. And you can follow along at uh, our adventures at jscottoutdoors.com, on our Facebook page, jscottoutdoors, at jscottoutdoors on Instagram, uh, also on our YouTube channel, I think we're up to now 1,350 uh, subscribers and uh, I believe well over a million three or so in, in uh, plays. Um, people comment all the time how much they like our videos. Uh, we we want to thank you for all of your support and um, uh, the spring is, is coming to an end and uh, the, the summer is, is right in front of us. And uh, we're going to be getting prepared for all of the upcoming fall hunts. I know that uh, I've got a hunter in Arizona Unit 9. I'm excited for that. That's a September hunt coming up. And um, be interesting to see how that hunt goes this year. Uh, they've actually put the muzzleloader hunt in front of the archery hunt, which they've never done before. I believe the muzzleloader dates are from September 11th to the... 17th and then I believe the archery hunt starts on the 18th and and uh, goes to October 1st so I'm excited about that hunt and it'll be interesting to see how these summer rains come uh, we'll be praying for good monsoons to hit us here in Arizona around the 4th of July and and uh, just pray that we can finish off those bulls um, maybe with some late storms in June and um, get those cows feeling good and have a good rut so Exciting times here, guys. Um, until next time, God bless, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast, brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.